All right, Mark Malusis joins us, friend of the show every week, WPIX TV in New York. And, you know, we got Jets and Jags tomorrow. And the big question, Moose, is can the Jets win with Zach Wilson at quarterback? Uh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, I don't, I don't think that, and the Jaguars have won four of their last six and you know, it was a heck of a come from behind victory against the Dallas Cowboys. But I, I think if, if the Jets are victorious tomorrow night and weather's going to be a factor here in the Northeast, I understand it's going to be terrible over the last, you know, 24 hours in a lot of different places, uh, you know, next two days over a lot of uh, places across the country, but weather's supposed to not be great tomorrow night. I think it's really going to be incumbent on the Jet defense, you know, getting after uh, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, the health of both their offensive tackles. Not exactly great. It's not like the Jaguars are coming in with an epitome of health. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's – I mean, I think against Detroit, you saw the good and bad with Zach Wilson. He was 18-35, to 35, threw for 317 yards. He did have the two touchdowns. Um, did have the one interception. I don't think he's completely at all comfortable within the pocket. You look at his footwork, not particularly good. The throws where Zach Wilson looks best is when he's rolling out or breaks containment and is looking down the field and it's kind of broken plays. So um, I, I think if, if healthy, I, I think obviously Mike White would have been starting. I do think if the Jets had a better vet, veteran backup quarterback than, uh, than Joe Flacco, I think he'd probably be starting as well because it's hard for me to believe that a quarterback can reset, find his passion for football, do everything that the Jets need him to do, work on his mechanics, all of that in the span of three weeks, and think that he's going to be good at, uh, good to go tomorrow night against the Jags. Musa, uh, the Vikings defensively have been an absolute sieve, uh, allowed the Colts to put up a ton of yards on the ground. Matt Ryan didn't do a lot through the air, but Matt Ryan hasn't done much through the air, and so I don't know necessarily if that's an indictment on the Vikings or, or, a, or a promotion of the Vikings defensively. Giants starting to get things a little bit back on track. Played pretty well against the Commanders. So did uh, the refs. Refs so- played well for the Giants too. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, they did. Giants. Yeah, they did. That was that was bananas. Plus four uh, at the Vikings. Its line movement has been from three and a half to four now. We actually have a couple of props up. You can get Saquon Barkley at seventy-five and a half rushing yards. You can get Daniel Jones at two hundred five and a half. What's your favorite bet here, if any? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably tell you, I, I like the Giants plus the points. I'd also take Barkley over the rushing yards. I, I thought Saquon looked a lot better, especially in that second half after the Lawrence-caused forced fumble recovered by Leonard Williams on the commander's second-to-last possession, the one that uh, Brian Dayball threw the challenge flag on. Uh, uh, Barkley will look great on that drive. Um, I think he had 41 of his yards on that drive on three or four consecutive runs. Uh, the burst has not been there. I, I think, I mean, Trista, I think you laid it out. I mean, the, the Vikings, as we've all talked about all season long, they've been a fraudulent football team. Uh, people have been, they've been the cardiac kids. They've had a lot of come from behind victories. I think you move the football on the Vikings. Now there's limitations of the Giants. We've all talked about it. You guys have talked about it on a nightly basis, breaking down the NFL when looking at this Giants team. The passing game is very, very limited, uh, whether it be, the lack of trust in Daniel Jones to a certain extent, but I also think it's a lack of weapons that he has to throw to in Darius Slayton. So uh, you look at what the Giants are going to do to try and be productive offensively. They can't go score for a score with Minnesota and expect to win the game because I, I just think Jefferson and even Kirk Cousins uh, playing early on Saturday, I, I think he'll, he'll be too efficient. Uh, the Giants have, have got to kind of muddy the game a little bit and, 
I, I think it's really on the ground game. It's going to be on Saquon Barkley. I think he'll go for 100-plus yards. I think the Giants can play within, you know, three or a field goal of, of the Minnesota Vikings. I won't even be surprised if the Giants um, won that game. I think they're I think they're a really well-coached team, but as we've seen all season long, there's limitations to what they can be. That was a hell of a victory against Washington. Yes, they got the benefit uh, <laughs> of some calls at the end of the game. There's no doubt. The one on, with Terry McLaurin, I still don't understand exactly what happened there. And Darnay Holmes absolutely mugged the Washington receiver in the end zone. With all of that, uh, the Giants, after they took that 7-3 lead with Kayvon Thibodeau, with the strip sack fumble touchdown, uh, they never trailed at that point in the game. And I do think the Giants in that game showed you they're a better coaching staff than, than what's going on down in Washington. But I think Barkley will have a good game Saturday, and I think the Giants will keep that game close against the Vikings. Wouldn't you be surprised if they won the game outright? Moose, I'm still trying to recover from what the refs did to my commanders. It was a rare time. I was excited to watch them play, and then I went, oh, this is why we can't have nice things, because our teams well, always fall apart. Happen. You know what was going to happen. They were going to score the touchdown, and I grew up a Washington fan as well, so you knew they were going to score the touchdown, and then they were going to have a, a bad two-point conversion. That That's the way that that game was going to end. Just of course. A, 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 being a lifelong Washington fan that I have been. Well, listen, when Taylor Heineke is your quarterback, you can expect a few fun plays and you can expect some <laughs> what-the-hell-are-you-doing yes. plays. But, you know, people still think that he's a franchise quarterback in D.C. Not many anymore, but there's still some that are just like, I don't understand. Watch the offense. They don't finish drives. Anyway, I like that certainly hurt c- the commander's chances to get to the playoffs, but it's a tight race on the back end in the NFC right now. We look at the Giants at 8-5-1, and one, Commanders 7-6-1. and one. Then you got the Lions and the Seahawks, and the Lions are the team trending up. Well, you'd argue the Seahawks are the team that's trending down a little bit. They're both 7-7. Seven and seven. When this is all said and done, do you see the Giants as part of that playoff field? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, think the, I think the Giants are going to get one more win. Like I mentioned to Trista, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the game on Christmas Eve against the Minnesota Vikings. I really wouldn't. I'm not a huge Vikings fan. I love Jefferson. Who doesn't love him? Uh, but I would not be surprised. And, and throw the Green Bay Packers into the mix as well, because Rodgers was talking about it. You know, they've got to win out. They've got one more road game, Miami, and then they close out with two home games uh, at Lambeau Field. And, and maybe, uh, maybe the Green Bay Packers can get a little help and get themselves back into it, which would be strange the way that this season has gone. Yeah, I think at this stage, once the Giants were at 7-2, and two, I, I think, and I said it here locally in New York, I thought it would be a failure if this team didn't make the playoffs. Now, you, we sit here on this Wednesday night. I think if you look at it, 538 said they've got an 87 to 90% chance of making it to the postseason. I think they got one more win on the table. And plus, I, I don't know exactly what the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have to play for the final game, final week of the regular season. Uh, they might have everything wrapped up, and we know that Jalen Hurts is already dealing with a shoulder injury. So, yeah, I think, I think at this stage, the season was on the line Sunday night down in Washington. They walked out of that field and all out of that stadium with a win. I'd be surprised right now if the Giants are not a playoff team at the end of this year. Let's pivot to some Major League Baseball because, man, have things gotten spicy in the last 24 hours. I think a lot of people thought Carlos Carrera was going to be what divided the Dodgers Mm -hmm. and the Giants for decades, continuing that rivalry, and now they've got something to unite them, going (laughs) against the New York Mets. This is insane. The fact that he was essentially ready to be announced and the press conference was ready to happen, and all of a sudden Steve Cohen kind of comes in in the last moment and makes that deal happen. Uh, One, what do you think of this deal? Like, What was your sort of train of thought and how it all went down? And and do you think that this could possibly be the best infield in Major League Baseball? 
Uh, pretty close to it when you go around the infield. I'll, I'll take the second uh, part, the last part first, Trista. I, you have Correa, Lindor, McNeil, and Alonzo. That's pretty good. Catcher is an issue for the, the Mets, but they've got a hell of a catching prospect in Alvarez, who uh, I think, given a, a proper amount of time, is going to develop into a hitting star. I love it. Like I, First and foremost, I love Carlos Correa as a player. I, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, but I'll be fair. I was I was hoping Correa was going to sign with the Yankees last offseason, and I don't care about the cheating scandal in '17 with the Astros. There's something about Carlos Correa that I think, as as sports fans, you're drawn to. Number one, he doesn't need to be coddled. He doesn't care what you think, what I think, what anyone thinks. Love him, hate him. He doesn't care. He's just going to go out there and try and rip your heart out. The other thing is, he's a great postseason performer. You look at him. I think it's 79 games in the postseason. He's got 15 home runs, 59 RBIs, 16 doubles, and he's hitting over 270. Uh, he's got an unbelievable cannon for an arm, a pension for the big moment. And for all those out there that are criticizing ripping Steve Cohen, this is why there were other owners in Major League Baseball that didn't want him coming into the game. It's the richest singular owner in the entire sport. He's worth $17 billion. He makes money, as he said, you know, at, at, with .72 in his investment firm, and he continues to make money. This is a passion play. He's here to put smiles on fans, uh, Met fans' faces across this great country and people are going to start complaining. Why don't you? Why do you need? Why do? Why do the Mets need Carlos Correa? You know what? They haven't won a World Series since 1986. They won 101 games this past year. They fell short to win the National League East. They got eliminated by the Padres in the wild card round. This is what a reaction. When you look at an owner that's not looking at the bottom line, is judging success by championships. This is how an owner of the wealth and that Steve Cohen has reacts. I think it's great. I mean, it really is. It makes everybody around Major League Baseball uncomfortable. It's good for the players. It's good if you're a Met fan. The Met fan for years had a deal with Fred Wilpon, Jeff uh, Saul Katz, Jeff Wilpon, the fact that the payroll was at $148 million. They weren't spending like a, a major market team. And now you got a guy in Cohen who steps in and is going to put his money where his mouth is. He wants to win a title. When he took over as Met owner, he said, I'm gonna, I want to win a championship in three to five years. And this offseason, after a disappointing end, he spends over $800 million in the Met payroll with the CBT threshold. Right now is sitting at $495 million, more than anybody by far in Major League Baseball. And I got to hear people complaining about it. Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, I, this is great. If you're a Met fan, this is this what it, what it was like for years being a Yankee fan when they would go out there and, and be big spenders. So the Dodgers, as of late, uh, even more so to a degree. I think it's I think it's great for the game because I like when people get made to feel uncomfortable. And I think there are a lot of owners around Major League Baseball that are feeling uncomfortable about just how aggressive Steve Cohen is, and he wants to win. And there's nothing wrong with an owner that wants to win. Yeah, listen, uh, if you if they're going to spend the money and they allow the people to do their job that they hire, it always it's a much better position than an owner that doesn't give a damn and just wants to treat their team and the fan base like an ATM. So it's a much better situation to be in. A couple minutes here, the Knicks are in a much better situation now. I mean, they're down right now 93-85 to the Raptors, but, I mean, this team's playing like a playoff team. They're back to being, uh, you know, we're seeing effort on defense. We're seeing Julius Randle look like a fringe all-star again. Jalen Brunson's seemingly living up to the contract, at least early on. Where are you on this Knicks team, and what have you seen that's different now than where they were last year? Well, I think different now. Randle looks a lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he does. He's averaging nearly 23 points per game. Obviously, the big acquisition of Brunson. They finally got a lead guard. Uh, people complained about the money that he got. The Knicks were desperate. Brunson wanted to be here. The Knicks were desperate for him. 
and and he's been everything as advertised. Uh, Barrett has has been inconsistent to start the year, but I think through the first 23 games of the season, the Knicks defensively, I think they allowed 102 or more points to each and every team they went up against. The defense, as you mentioned, has really clamped down as of late, and they've been a lot better. They've been a product of maybe the schedule a little bit, for sure. Were they terrible in the first half against a, a very beatable Toronto Raptors team tonight? Absolutely. And you know, I don't think you drink the Kool-Aid and think that this team is on the caliber of the Boston Celtics or even potentially could be on the caliber of the Celtics or the, the Milwaukee Bucks or the upper echelon teams in the Western Conference. I think Knicks fans like myself, they're so desperate that just give me the playoffs. I don't even care. I mean, just give me relevant basketball in the second half where you're not thinking about draft choices and all that. And I think Thibodeau, number one, this team has played a lot better defensively. Brunson's impact unquestioned. He's uh, also put guys like Derrick Rose to the bench. Uh, Quentin Grimes getting a lot more burned, trusting some of the younger players. The outside shooting has been better as of late as well. I think all of that added up is why the Knicks have won eight in a row going into their matchup tonight against the Raptors. A little less than a minute. Just want to circle back to Major League Baseball about the the, uh, the Vikings. The Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my mind? Uh, the Yankees. And just how much better do you think that they actually got? Because it feels like some of the problems like IKF and Aaron Hicks are still there. Yeah, they're still there. I think their rotation, Krista, is better with Rodon. Uh, and I think they will be. I think the bullpen with Canley will be a little bit better, even though you got questions about Clay Holmes uh, in the back end. He was good when he was healthy. I think the lineup is still the same. It's great to have Rizzo back, but the same issues that you've had about this Yankee lineup is still there where uh, they're counting on guys like DJ LeMahieu uh, to get back and to be healthy for an entire season and be the player he was two and a half years ago as compared to the player he was for the past two seasons. So those are the issues. You also can talk about Boone and the dugout. I don't know how significant. I think they're, listen, they're going to win 95-plus games. But are you looking at them as being a championship-caliber team? Not right now, I'm not. Yeah. Mark Malusis, tortured Commanders fan just like me. It's something we can bond over. One day we'll be able to have nice things again. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Thanks for coming on, man. Always love talking to you. Thanks, Moose. You, you, you guys got it. Happy holidays, all right? You too. Happy you too. Yeah, it's uh, I, I still, I, I don't, I don't want to dwell on the game, but I just keep thinking about what happened on Sunday night, and it still pisses me off. Get I'm over not it, lie. Nick. Get I, over I, it. I, you, you know what? I usually tell people to get over it. I can't. Get over it. It really pisses me off. Whatever.